50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. Season seven, episodes eight and nine. You guys, we are getting to the good stuff. We are at probably the most pivotal point of Kardashians right now. I mean, where we're at currently is, let's say, around March, April 2012. We can go over some key dates in a second. And we then have June of 2013, North's born. August 2013, Chloe and Lamar separate. And December 2013, Chloe files for divorce. So what we see right now, even though at the time the family didn't know that's what they were gearing up for, is really the lead up to not only Kim and Kanye having a kid, but also Chloe and Lamar majorly on the rocks. And then with Chloe and Lamar, it's like, this is such a pivotal point in their relationship because as Lamar said in that TMZ interview, you know, being in Dallas was when things kind of went downhill for him. Like he lost what it was like being a Laker, which was such a core part of his identity. And he had suffered a lot of losses in his own life with the people in his life during that time. And Dallas is when he really started using and when he found himself in a not great place. And so we are now post-Dallas. Right. So this is what's really important to remember. Here we have Chloe and Lamar. They just got back from Dallas. As Julie said, he's no longer on the Mavs. And this is really their first week back in LA. And so the family is understandably so excited to have them here because they've missed Chloe so much. I mean, she takes you know the term basketball wife to a whole other level. Like when Lamar is in season, that was her entire, forget about number one priority, that was her priority. And so their expectation is she's going to come back to LA and it's kind of going to be business as usual. And what they see, and as you see, you know, throughout these two episodes, what they grow increasingly frustrated with is that's not the case. And Chloe's trying to say to them, listen, we're trying to get back to our life in LA. There's a lot going on. And they don't entirely realize, again, because Chloe's not voicing it, that it's not just that she's trying to get back to LA life. It's that her and Lamar are presumably dealing with some shit behind the scenes that no one knows about at this point. And you see in the beginning of episode eight, because realistically, we're not going to do scene by scene for episode eight. We'll really get into episode nine. There's a point when Kim, Chloe, and Courtney are all talking and Kim says in her confessional, I know Chloe's really stressed out just coming home from Dallas. I completely understand putting your husband first, but I think Chloe takes it to a different extreme, which at face value is true. But part of the reason Chloe was doing all of this was because of how tightly she felt she needed to hold on or everything would kind of unravel. Something that I found myself doing during this episode was really paying attention to the dynamic and the way that Chloe specifically was acting with the knowledge that we have now. And there were so many points where I was like, I can't figure out what's what. Like, I can't figure out if, like you said, Chloe is 
holding on so tight and trying to control the situation so much just because she's trying to keep it from unraveling or if it's because she's going to the ends of the earth right now to try and hide the secret of what is really going on with Lamar. I really understand trying to figure that out as you're watching because I was doing the same thing. And the truth of the matter is we will never know month to month exactly what was going on behind the scenes. Even as the years have gone on and we've gotten more clarity, it's never that clear of a timeline. I think for me, like I said, this was around April, 2012. And as we know, they separated August, 2013. So this next year was about to be a crucial one in terms of kind of the downfall of their relationship and everything that was starting to go on with Lamar. I don't think at this time, the way that Chloe was handling it was necessarily wanting to cause a physical separation between her family and Lamar in order you know, to conceal behavior. I think it was more so that when they were in Dallas, it was just the two of them. And she saw how delicate of a mental space he was in. I mean, he himself has cited that as one of the most depressed he's ever been. And so I think she knew where he was at and she knew how bad it could possibly get. Maybe she started to see some tendencies that were concerning, but I think she felt as though the only way to kind of stop it in its tracks and really get a handle on the situation was like full 100% dedication, you know, all hands on deck kind of thing. And I think she was viewing all of this familial involvement almost as a distraction. Like I think she felt as though she couldn't afford to be distracted from her primary focus, which was making sure Lamar mentally and emotionally was in a good space because she was starting to see the path he could go down if he wasn't. I don't know. Like, you just don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I I was just thinking as, as you were talking, like, it wouldn't make sense necessarily for them to do a podcast where they recapped all of the old episodes because there are like, <laughs> like what we're doing now, because there are so many episodes where like nothing's going on behind the scenes. Like it just is what it is. Each episode is at face value, but I would love for Kim, Chloe and Courtney, all three of them to go through like some of the episodes from the most pivotal times of their life and break down. This is what was happening behind the scenes. This is what you guys don't know about. This is exactly what I was experiencing at this moment. Like that is what I am craving so desperately with these episodes. I mean, obviously that is my dream. Unfortunately, I think we just have to operate under the assumption that we will never be getting that. And there's a certain amount of guessing that just goes into recapping these older episodes. But even here, because like I said, we're just going to glaze over episode eight and we'll really get into scene by scene episode nine. In episode eight, you see the whole family, but specifically Kim, Courtney, and Chris having frustration with Chloe for feeling as though she's back and she's not spending much time with them. And when Kim and Courtney go over to her house, Chloe says to them, listen, I try to make everyone a priority. I think you guys are a little stingy. I do whatever you guys want. And Kim says, is this because Lamar's lost his mom and his grandmother and every female figure in his life? Do you feel like you need to be all of them? Courtney says, you just put too much pressure on yourself to be everything. Chloe says, there's no pressure. This is just who I am as a person. Sorry. And in Chloe's confessional, she says, you two are calling me out. Kim, your system hasn't really worked. And Courtney, you and your boyfriend don't even sleep in the same room anymore. So I have to do what's best for me and my marriage. I mean, that's the other element here too, is that obviously what you and I were discussing in terms of the way that Chloe is acting is us hypothesizing what was going on with Lamar at the time and how much of that Chloe was aware of and what she was doing to try and protect herself and protect him. But the other piece of this is in terms of the way that Chloe prioritizes Lamar and Chloe, like in her role as she sees it as a wife, like she would probably be acting this way regardless of anything. It's not that I disagree with that because in the words of Chris Humphreys, there is no one more down for their man than Chloe. But the difference here was that 
she had the added obstacle of not being able to be fully transparent with her family. So, you know, listen, again, that's just me speculating, but I think at this moment, Kim, Courtney, and Chris really had no idea of what was going on behind the scenes yet. And so, yeah, maybe she would have been prioritizing Lamar first, no matter what, but the fact that she couldn't fully express what was going on or didn't want to express what was going on, the the lack of clarity, I think, only exacerbated the situation in terms of them feeling like her priorities were majorly out of whack. But the thing is, and I agree with you, but the thing is, is that because Chloe set, like you said, a certain baseline level in terms of her attentiveness to Lamar, it didn't raise any eyebrows beyond just like, okay, this is a little like intense of what was going on. Whereas if Courtney all of a sudden one day started acting like that, or even if Kim in her relationship started acting like that to that extent, everyone would be like, is there something going on? Like, is something wrong? But when Chloe did it, it's not like anybody was like, okay, you're acting like very intense about this. Like, is everything okay with Lamar? It was like, oh, wow, Chloe's just like really taking this to a new extreme. And that's honestly why she was kind of able to keep the secret in the way that she did for so long because her acting in this way and, and this behavior was, yes, was it a little bit more extreme than we had seen in the past? Definitely. But was it out of the norm for her? No, by no means. Well, right. And especially because we were dealing with a huge event in his life. Like no one needed to know anything about what was going on behind the scenes to realize that basketball is his life. And this is the first time in a very long time that basketball was not in his life. So of course, Chloe was going to step in and be there for him in what was proving to be kind of an emotionally challenging time. That was just like, you know, the base level. So you're right that, that I don't want to say that bought her time because that's like totally the incorrect term to use, but it, for lack of a better term, it did kind of buy her time in terms of really needing to let everyone in on what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. Also, just keep in mind as we go into the next episode, while this is general frustration that's building up, the event that is being discussed here is the fact that next month is Scott's restaurant opening in New York and they're all going as a family to support him. And so that's the event that Kim, Courtney, Chris, everyone is kind of bugging Chloe to show up at. And we'll see how that progresses in episode nine. But even here, you know, they're saying, are you coming to New York? Are you coming to New York? And you can see her getting increasingly, yeah, frustrated, but also anxious. And you really see that anxiety continue to rise. But I just have to mention the other plot that's going on here is that Scott and Rob are both already in New York because Scott has an appearance for a sweet 16 in the city. I can't, I cannot even wrap my head around this. Like I need, please God, if there is any chance that you are the girl who had Scott Disick as the surprise guest at your Sweet 16 and you happen to be listening to this podcast, please DM us. How is that not a TikTok? I was going to say it probably is, but if it is, we would have seen it. No, we 100% would have seen it. It would have gone viral. I need, if, if you are that girl, even if you're that girl's younger sister, I need you to make a TikTok with all of those pictures. I'll do you one better. You don't got to be the girl or the sister or even in the family. You just have to be there. You could be a random friend. Uh, yes, like give me that. Give me that behind the scenes. Do you understand how hilarious of a concept it is to have Scott Disick as the surprise guest? It was certainly random. And what I was really picking up on was it was like, okay, obviously the dad had to have been the one to coordinate this. And you can see when that dad is looking at Scott, it's like, he has no idea who the fuck this guy is. 
No, he's like, I just paid 50 grand for this guy. Also, like, how did she sell that to her dad in terms of wanting Scott? Because it's like, I think that if you're going to convince your dad to have somebody for your sweet 16 that he's going to have to pay a fuck ton of money for, it's like, okay, a performer. Like, you had Scott come for what role other than to, like, give (laughs) the whole family anxiety and specifically Rob? (laughs) I mean, I guess he was effectively operating as, what, the MC in a three-piece suit? Yeah, I guess something so. Something like that. Could you imagine? I mean, first of all, my dad would have never gone for this in the first place, but in a hypothetical universe that he was down for this, I just cannot imagine his face when Scott Disick walked in. Emmy, this is what I'm paying for. Imagine <laughs> Scott Disick at your temple bat mitzvah where you couldn't even have had electricity. Literally, literally, we're talking, we had acapella, like... It was not, uh, Scott Disick was not DJing. <laughs> My dad would be like, who's this guy with the slick back hair costing me 50 grand? So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and... Every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Okay, we're now going into episode nine, which I think we're probably going to end up doing relatively scene by scene. I just want to mention as kind of a side note, the opening scene is Kim at the Dress for Success charity event. And this is when she gets flower bombed, which I remember at the time that was a huge deal and it still feels like it was burned into my memory. But I guess I had forgotten about 
you know, the immediate aftermath where they basically rush her up to the room and she was so calm, cool, and collected. Like they just take the blow dryer to the blazer, get the flower off. Someone asks where Mario is. And she's like, hey, I guess I just needed to bake my face a little more. She gets right back out there to the red carpet and someone says, you know, you're such a trooper. And she's like, listen, I really respect people's time. So you guys are here. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I was like, I think that was the most elegant flower bomb recipient I've ever seen. It was, obviously. It may have also been the only flower bomb recipient that I've seen. But my biggest takeaway was just, The Kim we know today and the Kim we saw then are so the same. Like there are so many aspects of Kim that have changed throughout the years. And there are so many aspects of Kim that have been refined throughout the years. But the way that she handled a situation like that, and then on top of that, not only like pulled herself together, was very calm, didn't get stressed out, didn't, you know, overreact or act emotionally in any way. But more importantly, the way that she walked out and was like, no, no, your time is valuable to me. So I'm here for you guys. And like, I am going to continue with this because you guys didn't have the option to like not have that happen. Like it was just, it was just so Kim. So, I, Julie, I swear to God, that was my biggest takeaway as well. And I, for a second, I, I guess caught myself because I wouldn't have thought at this time, which was 11 years ago, that she would have handled it that way. Like, of course, current day Kim, I know would have, but I realized I wasn't giving her enough credit because there is a part of her that's just always been like that. Yeah, I know. I had that that thought too. Anyway, so the first real scene is Courtney and Kim. And I guess, you know, since last episode, Kim and Chloe, not that they're not on speaking terms, but they haven't really been speaking. And so Courtney calls out Kim for posting baby pictures of her and Chloe on Twitter. And Kim basically says, yeah, you know, if she won't answer my calls, I know she checks Twitter. So I'm trying to get her attention. I'm like, wait, <laughs> that's hilarious. The importance of Twitter in terms of not only their celebrity, but their communication with each other is something that is constantly brought up in these episodes. And for some reason, it catches me off guard every single time because I think my memory of the importance of Twitter at that time is a little bit fuzzy because now it's like, yeah, of course, Twitter is (laughs) very prevalent, but it's not their main form of communication. It's not like them posting an Insta story. And so every single episode when they say like, oh, I'm just going to tweet this or like, oh, I'm tweeting this and every, like, I forgot what it was like when those tweets would go up. I forgot the way the internet would react because it was, if you think the internet is unhinged now and if you think Twitter is unhinged now, you have no idea. That was when celebrities didn't give a fuck, let alone other people. It was a crazy place. And the Kardashians' presence on Twitter as a whole really set the scene for Kardashian's presence on Instagram today. Oh my God, completely. I mean, Kim made that place her bitch. Every era that they're in, the corresponding social media at the time is like such an important background character. Like right now it's Twitter. In a couple of years, it's going to be Snapchat. You'll hear all of the same way that they're talking about Twitter during this era is the exact context that they're about to talk about Snapchat in. Like, you know, For example, when Rob and Scott are out and Scott's like, that looks exactly like your mom. Like we have to take a picture. We have to put on Twitter. Like that exact conversation carries over to like, okay, now we're going to do that on Snapchat. And then in a couple of years, it's Instagram. Oh, completely. I thought you were going to reference when you said Snapchat, when Chloe's in Courtney's backyard and she's like, there's no fucking Wi-Fi out here. Like I can't even get a Snapchat to send because if that was happening current day, it would be my Insta story won't even post. Exactly. 
Okay, so we now have Rob and Scott in New York. As we know, they're gearing up for the opening of Scott's restaurant, which, as we've discussed previously, here's this whole hoopla over the restaurant. Meanwhile, it ends up closing within the year, but we don't have to get into that now. Why ruin Scott's moment? Anyway, when Scott gets to the restaurant, he sees that it's not as far along as he would have hoped. And Scott says in his confessional, I just want to make Courtney really proud of me. She had a lot of doubts already, and I don't want her to have more. The last thing I want to do is have her see the place without it being completely done and ready to go. And the thing I just want to say on that is obviously we are in some ways so desensitized to the Scott and Courtney of it all. As Chris Jenner calls out in this episode, it's just the same shit over and over again. But I got to tell you, if you just zoom out for a second and you're not talking about Courtney and Scott, that entire outlook is like maybe worst case scenario. Meaning if you have a business venture and it's not ready or it's not doing as well as you expected it to be, you want to feel entirely comfortable to tell your partner exactly where you're at, the trials and tribulations of whatever you're going through, and have it be just that, an issue with the business. Not have it be, in their eyes, like a much larger statement of you as a person, as a provider, as your ability, as a father, as a husband. Like Because of everything that has gone on with them, Scott can't just come to Courtney with like what may be perceived as a business fuck up because he knows it carries so much more weight. Like his inability or his potential inability to open this restaurant to Courtney would signal so much more about his lack of capability in every other aspect of his life. And like, it's so unfortunate that they've gotten themselves into this situation. And I know it's such a throwaway line, but it really kind of like jolted me into acknowledging just how severe that reality was. I don't even feel like it was a throwaway line. I mean, in the context of this episode and... (laughs) their relationship throughout this episode. And I guess their relationship in general, it was certainly a throwaway line. But in terms of really understanding their dynamic, that is such a key piece of it. Completely. And we see that continue to come up. But next scene, we have Courtney and Kim. And this is when things start to get interesting. So Rob calls and asks Kim if she's heard Connie's new song. And Courtney in her confessional saying, you know, Connie has a new song out where he talks about falling in love with Kim. Of course, the line, and I'll admit I fell in love with Kim around the same time she'd fell in love with him. And Courtney says in her confessional, Kim and Connie have been friends for years and they've been hanging out lately and I have no idea if it's serious or not because I haven't really talked to Kim about it. And Kim then says to Rob on the phone, I mean, just because I'm seen with someone, does it automatically mean that's my boyfriend? All right. Like, obviously, what were you going to say? I just, I'm sorry. I just can't get over the way they just like, hard launched him. It's like, it was just like one day, like Kim is dating the most famous person in the world. I know. I I know it is impossible to do this specifically given the most recent instances with Connie and the way that we view him now. But just for the sake of really taking in this episode, you have to try to transport yourself to 2012 because in 2012, there was no one bigger than Kanye West. Well, okay. So something that I was doing while watching this episode is I had to take a second and be like, okay, if I'm watching this episode when it's first airing in 2012, I know about Kanye and Kim. Like this is airing months after Kanye and Kim have already been confirmed dating. So it's like, it's not like one day you're watching the Kardashians and all of a sudden Kim's dating Kanye West. It was like, you've been watching this season and waiting for them to introduce the Kanye plot into it and here the episode is. But watching it back and not watching it in the time where like, it's the most current news story, it was like almost jarring. It was like, wait, you're just going to drop that on us? I know, I know. And 
you know, everyone's kind of playing cool. Like here's Courtney being, I don't really know what the deal is because I haven't really spoken to Kim about it, which like, by the way, I actually totally believe because of the way that they operate. But in any other family, what do you mean your sister's just like maybe dating Kanye West and you haven't spoken about it? Well, the other thing is too, is like the show made it seem like these were two best friends that finally got together. Like that's how they introduced this plot. It's like, Kim and Kanye have always been friends. He's such a great friend to her. You know, they liked each other at different times and the timing never worked out. Again, these are all things that we kind of know now. I mean, I think the extent of their friendship was maybe a little bit exaggerated, but there was certainly a relationship there. As a viewer of the Kardashians, all you know is that like two times Kanye West like popped in, like one time into Dash, one time on a shoot, like it wasn't like this relationship that had been brought up on multiple occasions. It wasn't like Kim was like, oh, I have this event for Kanye tonight. No, he's just a friend. It was like, all of a sudden we're hard launching this relationship. And also we're going to hard launch the fact that like, we are making it out to be that they have been best friends. And like, this is a, a friends to lovers arc that we're seeing here. And by the way, not saying it entirely wasn't, but like, eh, was yeah. it? Yeah the best of friends. There was certainly, you know, a zero to 100 element that kind of went on there. They had known each other for a while, for sure. But, you know, friends is a very loose term. And I'm not saying they weren't friends, don't get me wrong. But this is not like platonic best friends that are hanging out constantly. Yeah. Anyway, we'll put a pin in that for a second. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray and it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray and Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real. And for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle. Like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. 
And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Okay, so we just flashed for a second to Chloe and Khadijah. Basically, Chloe has a missed call from Kim and you see she's just really overwhelmed and she's saying to Khadijah, like, I just know they're going to be pressuring me about coming to New York for Scott's opening and I can't deal with it right now. And she says in her confessional, Kim's just putting so much pressure on the New York trip. And the reason why I haven't brought it up to Lamar yet is because we just moved back from Dallas. He's trying to get back into his routine. I'm just over it. I don't feel like bringing it up right now. So we then flash to Chloe and Lamar and they're sitting down, hanging out. And Chloe brings this up to Lamar and she says, baby, everyone's going to New York for Scott's restaurant opening. Courtney and Kim think that I prioritize you over them. And he says, they probably miss you a little bit. And she goes, right. And I miss them too from being in Dallas and all that. But I think I do a pretty good job of juggling everyone. And Lamar says, you know, they probably overall miss you. We spend a lot of time together. I think we should go to New York, go support Scott and hang out with everybody. We should go. Which, you know, from the viewer perspective of when you're watching it at the time, this feels like a holy shit moment because here Chloe was for an entire episode getting stressed out about this before even bringing it up to Lamar. And in our minds, based on the way that she was introing it, he was going to have a really, really negative reaction. What you start to see here was, it was less so about her feeling as though she'd mentioned it to Lamar and he would, I mean, he definitely wasn't going to blow up. That wasn't in his style, but that he was going to have a reaction. It was more so, I think at least, she had some anxiety or stress around taking him out of his routine because I think him being in this routine was what she kind of, was looking at as like her lifeline to ensure stability. Right. Like you get a very small glimpse at the understanding of like what Chloe is feeling in terms of wanting to keep it all together and what Chloe is feeling in terms of what needs to be done is not necessarily that same pressure that Lamar is feeling. Right. Well, also she, you know, is operating, of course, from a different perspective than he is in that like, she knows as shit hits the fan or continues to hit the fan that she's the one that has to pick up the pieces. You know, like obviously there's a level of caution that she's operating with that he isn't. Right, exactly. I felt really bad watching this one scene, even though I guess if you're looking at it, like at first glance, it seems like a generally pretty happy scene where she proposes the idea of New York and he says, yeah, let's go. Like, oh, you know, what a great outcome. But what made me sad about that is like, here she was stressing about that so much internally to her sisters, to Khadijah, to Malika. Like this was something that was very much going on for her. And she hadn't even brought it up to him yet, which makes me think like, you know, I know a lot of her focus was his emotional stability, but in the process of really trying to make things okay for him, clearly she was taking a huge hit. And this is one minor example of that. Well, what's interesting about it too, is that there was certainly a level of anxiety that she was feeling in terms of not wanting to bring it up to Lamar. But like you said, it's not like he was going to blow up. It wasn't in his style to do that. He was never going to give her some sort of a reaction that would have made her nervous to bring it up to him. So that's another thing that's going on in terms of like a little bit of a dynamic switch that we're seeing where like Chloe all of a sudden has this level of anxiety, regardless of where it's coming from in terms of Lamar and 
communication with him or dealing with him or whatever it is with him that she never would have had prior. Because there are things where she would have had that same approach where she would have said like, oh, I I don't want to upset him. I don't want to do this. I don't want to take him out of his element. But she never ever would have been like nervous to bring it up to him. And I'm not saying that that is a result of the way that he would have reacted. I still think regardless of anything going on at the time, his reaction would have been exactly the way that he reacted to Chloe. But I think that you can see that there is the small little hints in terms of like their dynamic is is starting to change a little bit. Well, I think a lot of it was that, you know, she saw the outlets that he was using when things got stressful and she was trying to do what she viewed to be her part and like keeping him from that. I mean, what, this is such a tiny little piece of it, but what you are starting to see is Chloe taking on such an unfair level of responsibility, which then turned into such a level of guilt and shame when shit did hit the fan, you know, because it was, as far as she was concerned, it was her role to prevent anything bad happening. And unfortunately, the reality is that the only people we can really control are ourselves. And like, she was really giving it her all to stop Lamar from going down a path that he was going to go down regardless of whether or not she was involved. Right. Yeah. It's so sad. It's like, this was, I know we were so at the beginning, like we we saw nothing by the way, but it, it was just so sad to know what was really going on behind the scenes or even what was starting to go on behind the scenes. Right. I would say at this point, definitely starting to go on behind the scenes. Although we know, like, you know, it's not even guessing what was going on to a certain extent because in that TMZ interview, and I think Chloe too specifically points at Dallas being the turning point. And again, we are home from Dallas. Like Dallas is done. Dallas is behind us. So what we're seeing here is now post turning point. Totally. Next scene, we have Courtney and Kim and Kim gets to Courtney's house and she's driving a new car. And Courtney says, are you turning into mom? Because you both get new cars every day. And she goes, no, it's just my friend's car that I'm borrowing. Courtney says, who's your friend? And Kim goes, Kanye. And in her confessional, Kim says, So Kanye and I, you know, we have, I think, a lot of things in common. We both just love cars. So what's the big deal? I'm just borrowing my friend's car. And Courtney goes, you're just friends and you're borrowing his car. Kim goes, why can't I borrow his car? And Courtney says, okay, so are you more than friends? Kim's like, relax, it's not that serious. And in her confessional, Courtney says, I think it's a little weird that Kim and Kanye are sharing cars, but I do get why Kim would want to be quiet about any relationship, especially considering her last relationship. And Kim's explaining that, you know, Connie mostly lives in New York, but he has a place in LA. And Courtney asks if he's going to be there when they're in New York at Scott's opening. And Kim says, yeah, you know, he'll be there. It'll be so much fun to hang out. And I'm just like, how are we getting this? Like Kim and Courtney just discussing the beginning stages of her and Kanye's relationship while driving his car. Like, I don't know. My brain was having a hard time processing. By the way, his car that at the time matches her current car color aesthetic now, it's like, that is some foresight. Yeah, that is some foresight. Okay, so we now have Chloe at Courtney's. She basically comes over to tell Courtney and Kim that she is going to be coming to New York. You know, she wants to kind of make everything right. And there's just one moment that I want to mention where while she's coming over with the hopes of, quote, making it right, Kim and Courtney again lace into her about, you know, not being there for Christmas and missing all these holidays. And Chloe says back to them, listen, I was lonely. I was alone Christmas day. My husband got ejected from a basketball game. It was pretty much the worst Christmas I've had. And something that I just, you know, want to mention here, and I know it's so 
water under the bridge now, but like Kim and Courtney certainly could have been a little bit more sensitive to Chloe at this time. I mean, they really had a way of victimizing themselves in a situation where she was the alone one. Like, yeah, it sucked for them that they didn't have her there, but it sucked significantly more for her that she wasn't there. Their entire family was together and she's in a hotel room or like a very unhomey apartment in Dallas with Lamar who just got ejected from a game. Like the two are not the same. Right. Like she literally had the cameraman there, which she talks about years later. The camera guy from Kardashians was there with her in Dallas so that she wasn't spending Christmas alone. Like, obviously this was not her ideal scenario. Like the fact that you guys got to spend it with the entire family and she had to spend it alone in Dallas. Like, obviously there's somebody here that like is worthy of, of a little bit of sympathy and grace. Like it is so clearly Chloe. It's so weird when they do this and they do this a lot. Like, I don't mean Kim and Courtney necessarily, just different mixes of everyone. It's like, how are you going to get mad at the person that's clearly going through it the most? I guess the point that they were trying to make was like, you prioritize Lamar and like, here are all of these holidays where like you chose to be in Dallas instead of coming here. And like, you could have left Lamar, you and Lamar could have made it work. And like, you chose not to do it. Like, I think that was maybe what they were trying to say, but like, also no. It's, it's, it's giving Kathy Hilton a little bit. Like, I get that it yes. sucks for you, but it's, right? Like, it sucks more for Paris. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, we have Courtney and Scott now video chatting. Basically, she's just telling him the news that everyone's going to be coming to New York. And, you know, Scott is feeling excited about it. He feels like it's legitimizing. And Courtney in her confessional says, I'm definitely a little bit nervous because Scott always has an excuse about everything, but I'm hoping that Scott's restaurant opening will be a huge success. Again, I don't even want to use the term red flags because like, that is just incorrect. Like it is a fucking red, like giant wall. If you were using a, some sort of a red object to define their relationship, but like Courtney never can just, and I I don't mean this critically on her part. I understand that it's based on past experiences. Like she no longer has the ability to just go into a situation with Scott optimistically because she feels that she's been burned so many times. So like here she is in theory, so great. Her entire family is coming to support him. Meanwhile, She's anxious in that in her mind, there's a very good chance it doesn't work out. And like both for her and then for him, what a shitty place to be. This relationship, I said it last episode, I'll probably end up saying it a million more times. It did not serve either of them. Mm -mm. Anyway, we're all in New York. They're at catch for lunch. And basically Rob comes over to meet them. They ask where Scott is. And Rob's saying, you know, he had something to do with the restaurant, which is like literally next door but Scott didn't stop by to say hi to everyone. So now we're getting into territory where everyone's kind of pissed at Scott. Courtney says, you know, he just can never not be selfish. And this isn't even an episode where shit really hits the fan. Like in the scheme of things, I would say it's pretty calm, but already they've been in New York for no more than four hours. And Scott has already had one strike in like the disappointment column. And Scott ends up having a lot more strikes in the disappointment column. But what I think that- I love, wait, I'm sorry. I love when like one of us- like, I don't know where I just came up with that. A strike in the disappointment column. What the fuck is the disappointment column? But like, you just went with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like it was, a dis- it was the disappointment column. Right, like the, it was the like, disappointment it was like column. a super nanny chart. <laughs> right, yes. But it was like the disappointment column that has always been there. Like, what was our lives before disappointment column? Like, why do we do that? And also like, we're like, oop, that's his last strike in the disappointment column. Like he loses. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> that column was so fucking long. It literally like I, there are not enough columns in the world for Scott's disappointment column at this no. point in time. No, Excel is shaking. Excel is malfunctioning. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop it. Stop it. You know what I just you know what I for so many I just this is so random. You know what I just thought of when you were saying so long? The the episode of Watch What Happens when Shaq's on and Andy asks him if your shoe is a size 16 or whatever, how big is your dick? And, and Scott and Shaq takes off his shoe and like sh- shows Andy a visual. Do you know that episode? Yeah, of course. For some reason in my mind, it was like, like if we were making a meme for this episode, it would be Shaq doing that. But what he's holding is just like an Excel column that says disappointment. <laughs> no, the Scott's disappointment column is the same size as Shaq's dick. hundred yes. percent. I love that we just got there. Yes, Julie. Yes. Okay. You As you were saying, me tonight. <laughs> oh, I don't even know what the fuck I was saying. Okay, well, um, let's just go to the next. Let's just no, no, let's go to the next scene because honestly, this is where shit starts to heat up at the Gans Award. Okay, okay, we have Kim, Courtney, Chloe, Rob, and Chris at the Gans Award. Gang is all here, and Chloe says to Kim, "So, question: What's going on? You and Ease?" And Kim, in her confessional, says. I'm just trying to be a little more private with my relationship and keep that to myself and not involve them in every last drama that goes on. I think they should be happy with that because they have so much going on in their lives. And Chloe goes, you know, like, obviously you guys are serious. And Kim says, you know, we've been friends for like a hundred years. Again, Kim really trying to push this friendship narrative. And Chloe says, I know you guys have been friends for like nine years. I get it. Kim goes, and I feel like, I mean, we're taking things really slow. And Chloe's like, but it's easier because you guys have known each other for so long. Kim says, exactly. And we've had this mutual respect and love for each other. And Chloe in her confessional says, Kanye and Kim have always had some sort of chemistry towards one another, but either one had a crush on the other and the other one didn't. And then they would rotate feelings. It was never good timing. You know, he's always been a great friend. They've been through a lot together as friends. He's always been such a great person. Chloe says, well, I like easy. I've always liked easy. Kim says, me too. Chloe goes, I'm just happy you're taking it slow. Narrator. They were not taking it slow, as we know. This episode is filmed April 2012. And as we know from an episode of Kardashians, when Kim says this to Olivier, apparently North was conceived a night in October 2012 when Kim is in that royal blue Balmain dress. So there was no piece of this that was them taking it slow. No, zero aspect. But thank God for that, huh? Oh my God. I mean, we got like some of the greatest content in those years. That's also why Kim is really pushing the 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 narrative of them being friends because coming off of the Chris Humphreys relationship and how quickly that moved, I think that she knew she had to take it slower, but I also think she knew what was happening with Kanye and the connection they had and also how slow she herself was capable of taking things in terms of like really being a hopeless romantic in that sense. And I think that for her, if she could really push that narrative of like, well, we've been friends forever. We already have this real baseline relationship. It kind of, I think for her was an insurance policy in terms of how the public was going to react to how quickly this relationship was going to move. Well, I, I think certainly, you know, a piece of it was public perception wise, but I also think for herself, because she, you know, was unwilling to accept that like, maybe she was kind of rushing into something a little bit. And again, like, I'm not saying that that was a mistake. Clearly they had some great years. They had four beautiful children together. She wouldn't change that for the world. But I think there was a certain amount of convincing herself that this wasn't just her being a hopeless romantic and like jumping into something and that she was kind of doing a little bit of of rationalizing. Totally. Also, by the way, this episode aired July of 2012. So 
exactly a year from the time the episode aired, North will have already been born. Which is so nuts to think about. Yeah. Okay, so we now have Scott and Rob. They're kind of taking on the town. And the next day, Rob meets Chloe, Chris, and Courtney at lunch. And he's telling them, you know, we got home so late. Scott got back probably 6 or 7 a.m. And Courtney's asking a million questions. And in her confessional, she says, it's very annoying that my entire family is here only to support Scott and his restaurant opening. And he hasn't really spent time with any of us except for Rob. And Chris says, Scott's a big boy and he shouldn't be hanging out till five o'clock in the morning. Chloe says to Courtney, listen, mind your own business. You worry about you, Scott, and the baby. And Courtney says back to Chloe, I'm worried about me and him, meaning her and Mason. And Chloe goes, oh, not even Scott? So you're just over Scott? Courtney goes, I'm gonna have two kids. I can't have three. And Chloe says, so do you wanna break up with Scott? Courtney's like, I always do. Chloe says, you always do? She goes, listen, I don't know if it's hormonal, if I just hate him, I don't know. Chris says, I want you to be happy, obviously, but if I was pregnant, I was waiting for my boyfriend to come in and he was out till all hours of the night, I would tell him, hit the road, Jack. And they get back from lunch. They see Scott in the hotel lobby, Courtney in her confessional saying, I definitely think Scott owes me an apology and an explanation. It's really frustrating that I literally haven't seen him. He's been hung over all day. Very Dominican Republic deja vu, by the way. And Chris says to Scott, why don't you hold your son so that your pregnant girlfriend doesn't have to hold him? Scott says, she's the one that wants to hold him. I tell her all the time not to. You have to remember, you're talking to the same girl who hasn't let him leave her bed in two years. And Chris says, have you seen your girlfriend since you've been here? Oof, the tension is arising. The thing that I kept picking up on with Scott is like, I feel like every time we watch Scott or we see Scott in these episodes, it's like, which Scott do we believe, right? Like, is it the Scott that really wants to be a part of the family and really wants to make Courtney proud and really wants to be a good dad and really wants to make the rest of the family proud? Or is it the Scott that's going to go out till five o'clock in the morning with Rob and be blackout drunk, going to multiple locations and then coming home at 5 a.m. and being so hungover that he's sleeping until 5 p.m. the next day and also hasn't seen anybody, including his girlfriend in including his girlfriend and son since they've gone to New York for his thing. And it's like, which Scott is the right Scott? I really came to the conclusion watching these episodes that like both of those versions of him are him. Like he truly, truly does want all of those things. And he truly, truly also wants to just do whatever the fuck he wants. Like both of those things are like the most sincere version of him. There's just two different versions of him. Well, I think it's also that there's the pattern of self-sabotage because, you know, what one could, I guess, identify as like smooth sailing, aka when things are going well with Courtney and Scott and he's, you know, quote, on his best behavior. While in theory, that's enjoyable, I think it's the pressure builds to a point that he can't take it anymore. And then it's almost the more familiar thing to self-sabotage and go back into that cycle. You know, like when when things are too good, I think that he also isn't totally comfortable with that. Yeah. And I also think that potentially there's an aspect of the self-sabotage where he knows that it will end in a way where like Courtney gives him some sort of attention, whether it's negative or positive. And then like in a lot of the cases, he self-sabotaged, then he beats himself up so much. He's in such a bad place that Courtney is the one that then lifts him out of it and ends up doing the thing that coddles him or comforts him. And like, that's the intimacy and affection that he gets from her. So yes, there's a lot of self-sabotage that is just inherently self-sabotage. And then there's a lot of aspects of their relationship, which is him like crying out for attention, which isn't to say like he should be allowed to do that because 
you know, his goal is getting something from Courtney. No, he needed to have figured out a more mature and adult way of, of doing those things. But a huge issue in their relationship is the fact that he wasn't getting from Courtney what he needed and she wasn't getting from him what she needed. Right. And we have the next scene where it's Courtney, Chloe, Kim, Rob, and Chris shopping. Scott walks in. They kind of get into it of saying, you know, we've been here. We haven't seen you. Da, da, da. And he starts to go at it a little bit with Chloe. And, and Scott says to her, you don't understand. She, meaning Courtney, she's still mad at me for things that I did 10 years ago and still drives me crazy. She by no means is over it. And Courtney says, when the same thing happens once a month, it's hard to forget about this thing that happened the time before because then it happens again and again and again. And he goes, yeah, I don't know what to tell you, which is exactly what we constantly talk about where it's like, they've never really worked through their previous problems. Of course, there's major trust issues that Courtney has with Scott. And so something that in the scheme of things is relatively minor builds up and builds up because it is combined with all of the previous things that have never really been addressed. And Courtney's lack of trust and, you know, being very triggering for her and then also triggering for him because he feels shamed by her. Like it's such a toxic cycle. I know there's nothing even productive to add here. Like there's nothing we could say that we haven't said before, at least in these episodes. It's just exhausting to watch. It is. It's, It's exhausting. Totally. Okay. Next scene, everyone's together at the hotel and Kim walks in wearing these KW earrings And Chloe asked her about them. And Kim's like, I don't know. I just saw them. I thought they were cute. And Chloe says, but did you buy them or he bought them for you? Kim's like, no, I bought them. Rob goes, so it's either Kim West or Kanye West. And Chloe says in her confessional, I think Kim wants to believe that she could take things slow, but let's keep it real. You're wearing KW earrings. Like I know what that stands for, which is what I was saying before in response to you saying that it's the public perception totally, but it's also her own like justifying what's going on here and like wanting to think that she's not jumping into something, even though like, she kind of factually is. I also have to tell you, I don't know if I've ever told you this. 2012 is when this came out. And I was, this was, that was like during my first serious relationship. I think I was a senior in high school and I had gotten my second hole and I hadn't gotten my third. And when Kim had the KW earring, I think I saw it on Pinterest or something. And I was like, I am going to get that. And I'm going to get my ex-boyfriend's initials. Like that, I was so dead set on doing it. And I ended up getting a third hole. And then I think I just like never change it because obviously you have to wait for like however many months. And by the time I did that, I was in college. I didn't. But like, I actually can't believe since then I've been in other relationships and I've never done it. Not because I want to, but because you don't understand how many times I looked at Kim wearing those KW earrings and at the time thought it was like the sickest thing ever. That is so funny. No, you never <laughs> told me that, but that is absolutely hilarious. And honestly, so classic. And I don't know why, but you like attaching to that is like, I don't know. It has like very like attaching to something Kylie would do energy. Yes. I totally, totally get that. Cause this was a very Kylie move of Kim. Like, yes, I got it from Kim, but it feels like Kim would have gotten it from Kylie. I guess that was the better way to explain it. Like, it just seems like something <laughs> Kylie would have done. Yeah. I can't believe that I'm, it's now 11 years and I've never, I have what, like 11 piercings in my ears and I've never done an initial. Maybe, maybe well, when the right one comes. No time like, <laughs> like the present, no time for like the present, but it don't for seem you. so present. <laughs> <laughs> you your initials in my ear. 
No, please. That's too. No, I I like literally would never let you do that. I mean, you're the best prospect we got at the moment. That is um, fucking please. funny. Wow. I just when, I'm sorry. Like when I saw those earrings, I was like, that is bur-. like I swear to God, if you went through my camera roll on my phone, I don't think that I have. There definitely I don't have pictures from 2012, but if I did, there would be screenshots of that. Julie, I thought it was the coolest. Did you remember that? Or when you were watching it now, have like a rush of nostalgia? I had a rush of nostalgia. Like I, it wasn't like I completely forgot that that existed, but I had just not thought about it in so long, you know? Like, did and you know that was going to come up in this episode? No, 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 no. And then when it did, I was like, oh my God. Like I, I looked up because I also loved the font. They were like almost like mini bubble letters kind of. And I wanted that. Yeah. It's so unlike me to like still kind of be into that, but I like, I, I don't know, for some reason I like that. Yeah, I could see that for you. Okay, here's, let's just be honest about what it is. It's that in theory, I would love to be the type of girl that could get like a tiny little tattoo, but I will just never get a tattoo. And so to me, I think the idea of like a third and fourth hole piercing with initials is like my version of edgy. And there was something about that that I really liked. You know, that's that's just what it is, to be honest. I knew you were going to say that. And what my thought process was, was the reason that I wouldn't let you do it, if, even if you had a boyfriend right now to do it with, is because you would have done it and you would have been like, okay, I'm just doing it as like a joke. Like, I just want to wear it one time, one time. And then you would have been too lazy to change them. And we would have been going on like months and months. And I would have been like, you have to take his initials out of your ear. Like, this is so like, you can't, this is 2000, like you can't have this 2012 look in your ear. Well, here's the thing about me. If I broke up with the guy, I probably would have kept him in for a couple months after the fact because I just didn't feel like changing him. If you had gotten those TW earrings at the time, they'd still be in your ears. A thousand fucking percent. <laughs> and you want to know something? It would be the kind of thing where through the next boyfriend, I would just be like, no, no, it's it's not like that. Like it's just a part of my past that I just like to have, don't think. And like they would probably somehow get on board with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can think of somebody that definitely wouldn't have, but yeah. <laughs> Okay, so moving on to where are we going? Oh, oh, just a funny little note from here. Lamar's on the balcony and Chris is like, oh, wow, you look so good. Who will look away from those beautiful brown eyes? And Chloe's like, mom, you can't have sex with him. Chris loved her some Lamar. I mean, little did we know Lamar was like very much Chris's type. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You just would have never no, known. What do you mean little did we know? She was openly flirting with Lamar. Well, I mean- she was married to Caitlyn, which is like, first of all, Rob Kardashian, Caitlyn, and Corey Gamble, three completely different energies. No t- no two of those people are the same, you know? So I, I guess it's like, I didn't know if Chris had a type or not because everyone I had known her to be with was so different from the other. Chris is like the rest of them in terms of each relationship. It doesn't follow a pattern. It follows an overcorrection. Completely. Okay. So next scene, we have Courtney and Scott in the hotel and- there's all these snacks around and Scott asks about them and Courtney goes, you know, it's how Lamar likes it. So Chloe sends all these snacks from LA. And Scott says, it's just so funny what a difference the preparation she does for her man and then what you would do. By the way, very Chris Humphries of him. And Courtney says, I mean, I used to pack for you and stuff. And he goes, please, yeah, pack, that was it. But I'm saying you would never think to say, I'm gonna bring snacks for you or something. She goes, yeah, I would a long time ago. He goes, you're right. I think it's the kid thing and that I mess up those privileges I'm sure you're gonna say. And in his confessional, he says, I realize Courtney and I haven't been on the best terms since she's been to New York because I've been so stressed out and running around trying to make everything happen for the restaurant. 
And Courtney says, you say you have all this work to do for the restaurant and then you go out till six in the morning and sleep until five. And Scott says, I was entertaining your brother. And Courtney goes, he said that it was your thing and that you were like, let's go here, let's go here. And Scott goes, are you joking? Which ends up in the next scene of Scott and Rob kind of having this conversation where Rob apologizes to him and explains that he's really just jealous because his sock line hasn't taken off. And, you know, he graduated USC with a degree in entrepreneurship and he really wanted, you know, to, to get a business off the ground, it, whatever. It's so irrelevant. The thing to mention here really more so is the Scott and Courtney line where he's pointing out what Chloe is doing for Lamar and, you know, just picking up, I guess, on the differences. And also an interesting thing in terms of Chloe and Lamar's relationship, because her bringing these snacks for him and her shipping the things that he likes from LA literally has nothing to do with what is going on with Lamar. That is just who Chloe is for Lamar and the way that she treats her quote man. And so that was another interesting aspect of their relationship because the entire time throughout this episode, for us now watching it, we've been looking through it through that lens. But this was a moment where it was like, oh, forget about everything else. This is just like the core of the way they are in their relationship. I know. And that's the other reason that as I watch as I think about the Tristan stuff and like, first of all, obviously Tristan is dying for Chloe back. No one's going to treat him the way that she treats him. But also you see that with Chloe and it's not her fault, but like she can't really do it halfway. Like she's either in or she's not in. And when she's in, she's, she's doing it all. Like she's being the best, the best girlfriend you could be. And so I, it's, those are the moments where I'm like, you know, I know now Tristan is out of the house, but it's like, get out of the house before you start to get these girlfriend privileges, just because Chloe's not down with mediocrity, but like when you're in her space and I I just, it scares me. Like proximity could breed over attention, (laughs) you know? Totally. Yeah, totally. So Courtney, Scott, Kim and Rob are at the Gansworth. They're having a conversation and this is so minor, but I just want to mention it. Kim is like, Kylie, I think is the hottest out of all of us. I think Kendall is like the prettiest model wise. Then I think Rob is the hottest brother. I think Courtney's the smartest. Chloe's the funniest. And I'm the stupidest. <laughs> Some amazing foresight on Kylie there because Kim was certainly the hottest at the time. I agree that Chloe's the funniest. I guess it's a tie between Chloe and Kylie, although at the time Courtney was pretty funny. But I always view Kim as the smartest. Yeah, I definitely view Kim as the smartest. That's 100% the title that I would give her. I just love this game. Like not even this specific one. I'm not saying smartest, prettiest, whatever, but like, I love them describing where they think they all land. I was like, can we do this with something else? Like give give me another game where you rank yourselves. I could listen to them do that shit all fucking day. Yeah. I will never get sick of that. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like Generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. 
Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, co-insurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. So we now have Kim, Chloe, and Chris. And Chris is basically saying that this is the happiest she's seen Kim in a really long time. And Chloe says, you know, I didn't know that Kanye was coming to Scott's opening. And Kim's like, yeah, you know, he heard me talking about it and he said, I'll go with you. Are you not inviting me? And she's like, no, I'd love you to come. I just don't want you to feel like the pressure of coming with everyone there. And in her confessional, Chris says, I think that Kim is trying to take things slow, but the heart wants what the heart wants. And Kim knows what she wants. Which by the way, like obviously Chris wants what's best for Kim, but also Chris Jenner at this time is very much in momager mode first. And one of her kids dating Kanye West is like best case scenario at the time. I had that exact thought too, yeah. This is one of the most interesting lines of the episode. Chloe says, yeah, Lamar was like, now if anyone's made for one another, it's those two. Because Kanye was like, no, Kim, you need to do your ponytail slick back. I want it straight. He like told Kim how to do her hair the other day. And Kim says, yeah, he's like, wear this, wear this. He put my outfit together. Chloe goes, Lamar was like, I'm tired of hearing about the shit she can't talk to her boyfriends about. Like, I can't listen. I don't care about Kim's Chanel bags. And Chloe says, so you and him are officially together. Like, that's your main squeeze. Kim goes, I don't know. I'm just taking it slow. And we've just been, you know, hanging out all the time. Chloe goes, but is he your boyfriend? And she's like, I don't know. I don't know if I do titles. That whole Lamar insight is so interesting because, you know, it's it's funny how towards the end of their relationship, that was actually a point of contention in that, you know, it was one of the ways that Kanye was very controlling. But at the time, and for a lot of years in the beginning, Kim viewed that as an overwhelming positive. She loved being, you know, what you would call his muse. Oh my God. I mean, that was one of the draws of the relationship. Obviously it was Kanye himself. And obviously at the time, it was the way that he treated her and the way that she felt in the relationship. But she felt like a fucking princess with that Kanye treatment. Like, The prime example of that is when Kanye did the whole haul over of her closet. I mean, he went in, got rid of a million things, brought in all new stuff, a whole new wardrobe for her. And again, towards the end of their relationship, and once we were able to like really understand Kanye as the narcissist that he truly is, we were like, oh, that's kind of 
an act of control. But at the time, that was Kim's heaven. Like we and we watched that being like, oh my God, this is exactly what Kim needs. Like Kim is loving every single second of this. Kim has waited her whole life for something like this. And it is so crazy how something that we viewed and that Kim viewed as overwhelmingly positive at the time, and it was overwhelmingly positive for her at the time, is really something that we see in a much different light now. Yeah. And I just think it was really interesting to hear it from Lamar's perspective for some reason, because even he was picking up on the fact that like, to put it simply, Kim had nothing in common with a lot of her exes. Like her and Chris Humphreys quite literally had nothing in common. And so yes, there was a part of her dating Connie that she loved the fact that he was Kanye West, not in like a gold digger way, no pun intended, but in like a, you know, just extraordinary life way and, and the experiences and what came with that from just like a, how grand is life type of a situation. And more so the fact that on a base level, they did have a lot of things in common. They had similar interests, you know, all of that. And, and I don't know, for some reason it was just hearing Lamar's POV, like took me back. Totally. The other thing with Kanye and the relationship with Kanye is that when we talk about Kim and Chris having the foresight to be able to see like what would become, Kanye was not just a part of that because of the way things shifted in terms of her fame and the family's fame as a result of her being in a relationship with him, but it was almost like when they started dating, it was like, not even at the time, like in retrospect, it was like, oh, that's who she should be with. Like, Kim Kardashian is meant to be with somebody like that. Kim Kardashian is not meant to be with Chris Humphreys. The version of Kim that married Chris was the version of Kim that saw herself as a wife and a mother and so badly craved those things. The version of Kim that was with Kanye and the version of Kim that married Kanye was the version of Kim that saw herself, yes, as those things, but also saw herself as Kim Kardashian, the icon. And Kanye undoubtedly was a huge part of that. A thousand percent. I mean, again, it is very hard to talk about this given the current state, but you have to try to transport yourself. And that's kind of what we're doing here. Also just want to mention, there's a moment where Chloe and Lamar are babysitting Mason. And there's a moment where Lamar says, we're going to get you a little cousin to play with. And it pans to Chloe and she's smiling. And it's just one of those moments where you really have to separate like, okay, this was a moment in time and you know they weren't meant to stay together, but it's hard to watch this and then know kind of what's about to happen. But anyway, they're going to the restaurant opening. Kanye comes up to the hotel room and Kim's like, hi, babe, I'm so excited you're coming tonight. And he's just standing in the doorway, smiling. Kim's asking him opinions on what accessories to wear. And you know he is just in awe of her. Like he cannot get enough of her. And Kim in her confessional says, I'm so happy Kanye's coming with me to Scott's restaurant opening and I don't want to make a big fuss about it. We're just hanging out and that's it. But like, there was a huge fuss about it because a Kardashian dating Kanye West was a really big fucking deal at the time. It was a huge deal. And also like, in terms of what I was just saying about like the version of Kim that dates Kanye West, it's like, the other thing that we have to understand is that like, the version of Kim now, as we see her now, as we know her now, like, that version of Kim made sense that she was married to Kanye West. She is one of the most famous people in the entire world. She is a literal icon and the world views her that way. Even people who hate her understand for the most part, not everybody, but for the most part, understand like the way that she has solidified herself in culture. But at the time, 
Kim dating Kanye was the foresight of what she was going to become because Kim dating Kanye at the time made no sense. She was still just a reality star. Even if you think about it from the perspective of the people at Scott's restaurant opening, when Kim shows up with Kanye, like if you're Scott's restaurant partner, that's the best fucking thing that ever happened to you in terms of press. Right. Because also that was their public debut. That's what I'm saying. Like that was so off script for, from the perspective of like, you know, Kanye West, the the rapper, he's making his debut with his girlfriend, not on like the Grammys red carpet. He's making it at Scott to six restaurant opening that closed in six months. I know. These were crazy times. Crazy fucking times. Crazy times. Anyway, we're at the restaurant opening. To everyone's surprise, it goes very smoothly. It's a good turnout. It's a good night. And there's a moment where Kim, Kanye, and Rob are talking. Rob asks Kanye about his necklace. And he's like, yeah, I got it from Japan. And Kim says she's never been. And Kanye's like, oh, I have to take you there. And for some reason, that was just such a moment to me because obviously we know now, first of all, Kim spends a lot of time in Japan, specifically with North because North is so interested in Japanese culture and art. And some of her favorite artists and creators are from Japan. And also we know the way that Kanye has taken so much influence from Japanese culture and a lot of, you know, Japanese artists and architecture. And like, I know it was just one minor comment, but I don't want to say it's like Kanye really made Kim worldly. That's not the case, but he did introduce her to certainly travel destinations and just certain sources of creativity that like she wasn't in tune with at the time and now have become very big parts of her life. That was such a a moment of like the start of of what was to come, totally. Next scene, we're back at the hotel after the opening and Courtney gives Scott a present for saying, you know, she's proud of him for the restaurant opening and it's a Cartier love ring. And Scott's like, is this a promise ring? And she's like, yeah, it's that. And that I'm proud of you. And he's like, but we're not engaged. He goes, no, but I love you. And Chris in her confessional says, it's just like the same old story over and over. He misbehaves, she ignores it, and then she rewards him for his bad behavior. I'm just over it, which we were talking about before. And then the episode ends with Kim and Chris, and Chris is asking Kim if Connie had fun at the opening. And Kim's like, yeah, you know, might've been a little overwhelming, but he's a really good sport. And Chris is then telling Kim about walking into the lobby and seeing this Courtney and Scott, you know, interaction. And she's like, I said, what the hell is going on? And Kim in her confessional says, at this point, we're all over it. No matter what advice we give, Courtney does exactly what she wants to do. I mean, we've been going through this for like seven years now. And Kim says to Chris, it's not all his fault. She set the tone of their relationship by sleeping in separate rooms. They haven't slept in the same room for two and a half years. Chris goes, they're too young for that. They've only been together for what, six or seven years? Kim goes, that's a long time. That's an eternity in my book. And Chris says, yeah, well, it's more than 72 days for sure. Oh, (laughs) fucking pop culture history right there. No, that really was. I remember that line and it hits just as hard today. It'll never not hit just as hard. You know, the thing with Courtney and Scott not sleeping in the same room is something that gets brought up in every single episode. And I think that they certainly understand that it's an issue in their relationship. And it's certainly something that is obviously worth addressing, but it's almost like it gets brought up so much that everyone becomes a little desensitized to it. And Scott himself has certainly become desensitized to it. But It's the kind of thing where you watch them and you watch the dynamic of their relationship and you watch the way that this aspect of them not sleeping in the same room gets brought up. And it's like, forget about everything else. The sheer act of not sleeping in the same room 
is the thing that was signaling most of all that their relationship was never going to work. And it's not just because of the lack of intimacy, which was certainly a factor. It's because that can only work as a practice if both parties are equally on board. It was like every single night, Scott had to do the thing in their relationship that he didn't want to do. Like it was almost like he was banished to the other room. And there is no relationship that can work and last in the way that theirs was apparently supposed to when one party is completely opposed to what is being forced upon them in that way. Exactly. Exactly. It was, as you said, not undermentioned. It was actually constantly mentioned, but because of how much it was mentioned, them and everyone around them became somewhat desensitized to it. And it's not to say it was the root of their issues, but it was one of the most like tangible representations of just how doomed this relationship was. I really, really feel that way. And that's not to say that the secret to a successful relationship is sleeping in the same bed, but it certainly cannot exist when, as you said, the two people are not on the same page about it. Especially when one person is clearly craving a certain level of intimacy in their relationship. Like Sky is begging for that from Courtney and he is acting out And I'm not saying it excuses it, but he is certainly acting out in a way to try and get that. And when it's being withheld from him, not even as a punishment, just like generally withheld from him because of what Courtney has decided to set the tone of their relationship to be, it was just a disaster. And then on top of that, you add the fact that Scott has such maturity issues. Scott cannot get it together. Scott cannot act in a way that makes Courtney trust him. Scott cannot act in a way that makes the family trust him. It's just, I actually think I forgot. Actually, I know I forgot how disastrous this relationship was because even when it was great, those elements and those issues were still always there. I know. And by the way, we're not even in the worst times. I know. Like relatively speaking, this is kind of good. Scary. Scary. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's a wrap. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. And we'll see you next week. Let's talk about baby making for a second because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be. Meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Free to Fertility. Free to Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Free to Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you.